We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form, as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer, while evils are sufferable, than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such government, and to provide new guards for their future security. You're tuning into The Constitutionalist with Donnie the Don. Don't be political property, be free. Hello, hello, happy Tuesday to everybody. Today we're going to have a special guest on, it's going to be Eric. Uh, you guys may know who Eric is already from Twitter. He is an attorney, um, he knows a lot of good stuff, he's a friend of mine, We've spoken at some places together, and uh, he'll be here on here uh, with us here very soon. Uh, we're going to talk about what happened with the businesses and what the government did, what they overstepped um, when, with everything and how that's affected America today. And also, um, we're going to talk about with the flights and things like that and how that affects everything. Hey, Eric, I just invited you to speak. It should be on the top of your screen. And then once you take that invitation on the bottom, you can unmute your mic whenever you come up here. But yeah, I'm looking forward to having this conversation with him. Uh, he's a great guy, great friend of mine. And uh, there is a live chat feature, too, where you can type up stuff as well. So if you're having an issue, um, let us know so I can see what I can do to help. There you are. I feel like my 94-year-old grandfather trying to figure out his iPhone. Hello? Hello? Um, can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me okay? Eric, can you hear me? Let's try that again. Hold on. Invite to speak. All right. I'll mute your mic and they'll see if I can hear you. Can you hear me okay? No, you can't hear me. Can you hear me? Maybe it's my headset. Oh, try again. Yellow. I can barely hear you, but I can hear you. Tell me, uh, can you hear me okay? It sounds really quiet. Hang on, let me uh, see what I can do. I can hear you, but I can barely hear you. Is it just me, guys, or can you guys hear me okay? Can you all message me in the chat? Hey, Donnie, can you hear me okay? I can hear you, but it sounds really quiet on my end for some reason. How can you hear me okay now? No. Yeah. Not sure what's going on. What's going on? Brian. Uh... It sounds like you're like really far away from your phone or something. No, I'm right here. No, work for us today. We need this to work. Um, I've adjusted my stuff. Make sure I can hear fine. Not really for sure why it's not working. And I don't see anyone typing in the live chat if they hear anything or not. I only see myself and Mr. in the chat. Hmm. Could um, we can hear you guys. Can y'all hear? Can you hear Eric loud and clear? Is it just me that I can't hear him very well? Donnie, can you hear me okay? I can hear you better now, but it's still kind of quiet. Uh, he's fluctuating, but I can hear him. Okay. 
Okay. Um, can you say something else, Eric, real quick? Can you hear? Can you hear me a little better now? I can hear you a lot better. Okay. Now. Yeah, I put my headset on. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. And there's so much to talk about. I feel like the world has just undergone such a transformation in the last two weeks. I am doing all right. I would be much better if our country um, wasn't being ran by a tyrannical government. Um, but yes, there it has been a big difference. Um, not just in the last two weeks, but the last couple of years, um, it's gone down real fast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm surviving. Uh, just trying to think locally, just trying to work and take care of my family and try not to let all this noise bother me. But, uh, there's a big cultural pushback we're witnessing, and I think that's something that we actually have to remain optimistic about, uh, namely this pushback against uh, wokeism and you know this absolute obsession with gender identity and Pride Month. And I think I've been seeing a lot of content out there that's been really poignant saying that people just want to live their lives and just want equality, just basic human rights and equality. Nobody hates you. Nobody's out to get you. But this idea of your identity being the central focus and everything being shoved down your throat, I think people are kind of sick of that. I don't care what you do. I don't care how you identify. I don't care what you do behind closed doors. Just just live your life. Let's all be equal. And I think people are kind of coming back to that notion. So I think if there's one positive to be gained from all of this, it's kind of a return to normalcy. I think people are, are just yearning for a time where we can exist and we didn't have to live along these uh, you know, this this woke identity where everything has to inject race and culture and sexual identity into everything we do. You can't watch a damn commercial without race and sexuality being injected into it. You can't go to the grocery store without rainbow flags on your damn bag of cookies. Like, just let, let's live our lives. Let's just go back to a time where we can all be Americans and we can live our lives. And I remember a time, I'm 40 years old, I remember growing up in the 90s, early 2000s, where we had friends of all backgrounds. We had gay friends, we had black friends, we had Native American friends, and nobody cared. Nobody made an issue about it. We just lived and we just wanted to spend time with each other and have fun. And we got to go back to that time because this uber obsession with identity is driving us apart. It, it definitely is. And then the other thing I want to say too, Eric is, um, I believe that a lot of people are really frustrated with this. And it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. I talk to a lot of different people and there's people who are Democrats, people who, um, or maybe guess kind of, I guess, quote unquote socialists who are like, that's not okay. Cause when they heard about the drag queen, um, shows with the children, they said the same thing we said. That's pedophilia. Uh, I would never um, have my kids around something like that. Or if I would have seen that, um, I would have done something about it. And, and it's they're trying to normalize it and then make people out that say something against it as if they're bad guys or wicked. And that's not true. People are trying to normalize things that we're not going to accept. And I actually will say, Americans, pat yourself on the back for not falling for all this crap and then sitting here and be having some kind of morals and values about yourself. Now, I know you do, you talk to a lot of people, you have your own show, you've been across the nation. Um, have you done any recent traveling? Um, what's the climate in other places that you've gone to? Well, I, I just got back from South Dakota, which I'm a cowboy at heart, even though I grew up in Los Angeles. <laughs> I go there. I try to get there as often as I can. Unfortunately, not enough. And, uh, you know, the, it, it's, it's, you know, they call it flyover country. The liberal elitists kind of disregard it, but that's the majority of this country. You know, the, the bulk of this country you know, is quote unquote flyover country. It's rural America. It's country folk. It's people that live 15 miles outside of a major city. The population centers, maybe, you know, New York and Chicago, but real America, just, you know, get on the highway and drive outside of any city. Um, speaking of driving on the highways, I had to drive on a lot of highways because my flight was canceled coming home from Charlotte because the airlines are in complete disrepair. I had to sleep on the floor of the terminal and then rent a car at eight in the morning because American Airlines canceled my flight home. I drove from Charlotte 
it to Fort Lauderdale, which I, I really, as, as, yeah, as annoying as it is, look, you know, in, a, in another life, I would have been a long haul trucker and it'd probably be a lot less stressful than being a criminal defense attorney. Uh, maybe not. I don't know, but I certainly enjoy seeing this country. There's a lot of this country to see, but um, our infrastructure is falling apart. That's one thing that we're really going to see this summer, especially as we get into the travel season. Uh, the airlines are operating at 60% capacity. What happened is during COVID, all the pilots got smart and took early retirement and went to go work for Amazon. So they're collecting their pension from American Airlines, and they're making 250000 a year flying for Amazon. They're making more money than they've ever made in their lives. And we can't find people to work. The flight attendants don't want to go back to work. We can't train pilots. Uh, we're going to have a real issue. And where's Pete Buttigieg? You know, we have a supply chain issue. We have ships that aren't being uh, you know, leadened out in port. And we have airlines that can't get off the ground because they don't have enough people. And, our, and our, our transportation secretary is off on paternity leave. And he's talking about you know, uh, racial injustice of highways and climate and stuff that has nothing to do with getting Americans moving. And I feel like that's what we're being run by the faculty lounge at the University of California. We don't have serious <laughs> policy people on the ground doing the work. We have a bunch of theorists. We have a bunch of teachers, a, people, a bunch of people that can't do but can theorize think tanks. So it's a very frustrating government because uh, we have the most incompetent, unserious people doing the most jobs that require competence and seriousness. Yeah, you know, definitely. Um, you're completely right about that. You know what, too? I'm really, I'm really curious about, have you heard anything about lawsuits, you know, going on with the government or these um, companies? Who had enforced this? Because, you know, quickly people say, oh, this is a fault of capitalism. I've been hearing that. I've heard it a lot. People try to blame capitalism for this. And that's not capitalism. This is our government doing a terrible job. Um, This is their solution to the problem that they've created. That's not capitalism. Um, What are your thoughts on that? And have you heard any lawsuits going on about any of these things? Well, you know, there are lawsuits going on left and right, and one of my dear friends, Mike Yoder, is leading the charge. Vaccine lawsuits, COVID lawsuits, there's going to be a whole litany of it coming out over the next few years. But as far as transportation goes, you're entirely right. It was a problem created by our government. The government instituted the COVID lockdowns. They instituted the measures. They told us 15 days to slow the spread, and we believed them. And after a few days, some of us realized, whoa, wait a minute, this ain't going to be 15 days. Uh, and you had folks that wanted it to last forever. And they still do. And I think, I, I think we've gotten to a point now where we can accept the fact that COVID is over. But you know that if, if something were to come out again, they, they tried it with monkeypox, but I think we saw through it. Uh, but even you know, <laughs> Joe Biden is saying, he said, there's going to be another pandemic. We need money for the next pandemic. Um, and unfortunately, a good percentage of this country, without question, without batting an eye, will put that mask on and will lock down and do what their government tells them to do. The problem is... Uh, and I think this maybe goes more beyond government. It just goes more to our progression as a species. We've become weak. We've become weak because we have it so good. We are so comfortable. And as the human animal, you know, they've done experiments on testosterone. When men go to prison, their testosterone levels will rise drastically because they're in an environment where they're fearful. They have to be on guard and they're they're trying to survive. When you're home, you got your $1,000 phone, you're watching Netflix, you're eating pizza, you're about as docile as can be. So those natural defenses, those things that we have built within us, the, the caveman gene is gone. We have no survival ability. And that's why you see, and there's a, a physiological correlation to as the generations go by, testosterone levels in men are dropping because we have it so easy. We have nothing to fear. I mean, what are you afraid? You know, that your Uber Eats is going to be 30 minutes late and your tacos will be cold? Let's be realistic. We live in the greatest country in the world, but that certainly comes with some backlash. And that's, we have no coping ability, no ability to survive. So when your government says, hey, lock down, people don't have the fortitude to stand up and fight back against their government. In 1776, what else did they have? You owned your little piece of land, you lived on a farm, you ate what you could shoot. You you didn't have that level of comfort. Now we have so much, people are so afraid to lose it that they don't want to risk it. Definitely. And you know what, too? I think a huge problem is um, how we're getting our information in media. We uh, we have a war on the information that's getting across. Who gets to say information? Who doesn't get to say information? What information gets out there? And uh, uh, so when the, I'm, I don't watch TV, you know, but I've been at places where the TV's on. And like you said earlier, with the different kind of commercials and everything they have on, they push this propaganda. So when I've, I've been in people's places and I've seen now or every other commercial 
um, they're talking about the vaccine. You'll have somebody in a white jacket talking about, it's, oh, it's, it's safe and effective. Go ahead, make sure you all get your jabs. And I'm watching all these things. I'm watching the shows with all the propaganda. And this is what people are, are doing, watching this TV on TV. And I'm thinking in my head, this is, turn that TV off. I'm like, I don't know how y'all can sit here and watch this all day. But sometimes it, it feels like a, a bit of a curse to understand and see these things already. And then it's just like frustrating this to see it openly being said. And people just like, oh, that's normal. And you have all these people in America um, that has been vaccinated on both sides and it's crazy how they act like oh if you're republican you didn't get vaccinated i know probably more republicans that were vaccinated than i know actually no democrats that were they were vaccinated because they didn't forget when biden and harris told them that, that they shouldn't take it they should be afraid of it so i i think that this this country has a big issue with information and i i honestly um i know you have seen and heard me eric i have said that both i believe that both parties are responsible um for what's going on and that um if they both own the media, they both have control over the narrative. It just depends on how it, it's put out there and presented. And then we have people on Congress who who push a narrative. Uh, like, for example, the everything with January 6th. Um, they're pushing a narrative. And like, or where I see a heavy push on trying to make uh, people on January 6th sound like domestic terrorists are being weakly pushed back by the GOP. Um, by see the people like yourself and people like myself who uh, will fight against that and say that's not true. But our voices are not CNN. Our voices are not Fox. No, but the, the problem with the GOP is the GOP doesn't know how to message. January 6th is just a messaging battle that we lost. We could have won the messaging battle if we took advantage of it when the opportunity presented itself. I think the Appomattox for the Republican Party was the day Steve Scalise got shot, and every GOP senator crawled over their mother to get five seconds on CNN to say it's not the Democrats' fault. They should have said this is absolutely the Democrats' fault. They've been radicalized by this party that's going farther and farther to the left for decades. It's nothing like John F. Kennedy. Hell, it's nothing like Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton would be a conservative by today's standards. And we didn't do that. When the riots were going on, when the BLM riots were going on in May through October of 2020, we sat back and watched and we said, hey, look, the Democrats are digging their own grave, failing to realize that if you'll burn down your country, you'll murder your countrymen, destroy property, burn down an auto zone and say this is stunning and brave. You're going to steal an election. We underestimated the enemy. We could have capitalized on it. We could be having May 2020 committee hearings. We could be having BLM Summer of Love subcommittees and indictments and investigations, but we don't because we're run by a bunch of, of boomer eunuchs like McConnell and McCarthy who just want to go along to get along. They want to pretend that January 6th doesn't exist. They want to pretend it's something we can sweep under the rug. They want to rid the party of Donald Trump, whether you like Donald Trump or not. And I voted for Donald Trump twice, and I'll vote for him a third time. And I've, I've been a critic of him. I'm not one of those Trump sycophants who says the guy, you know, everything he does is perfect. The guy makes a ton of mistakes. But without him... We would have Jeb Bush or Hillary Clinton, and the two are frankly the same thing. I would say what you will about Trump. He changed the political landscape and the fact that he pulled the wool off of our eyes and he showed us what was behind the curtain. We would never be having these conversations in 2012 or 2013. We'd be debating policy. Instead, we're talking about the actual institution, the decaying institution of power, be you a Republican or, or be a Democrat. Someone on TV said it the other night, and I'm going to resort to it because I'm, I'm a pro wrestling fan. You know, take your two favorite wrestlers out in the ring, beating the crap out of each other. Well, guess what? When the cameras are off and the show's over, those two wrestlers are going out to have a beer, and the fans of those wrestlers are beating the crap out of each other in the parking lot. Politics is the same. Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi are out having dinner right now, while Democrats and Republicans are, are fighting each other in the street. It's, a, it's two sides of the same coin. Absolutely. And... And so in the meantime, before the 2024 election, because, you know, we, we had a discussion. We asked where I was thinking, uh, where I wanted to go with the whole uh, the 2024 presidential election. And I, and I told you that um, I, I would prefer to vote for a far more independent constitutionalist first. Um, and I gave you my list of reasons and my audience is pretty familiar with my list of reasons for that. But in the meantime, before that election, you know, this show, we like to talk about solutions and it's solution based you have any um, ideas of what we can do to secure our elections in a sense or figure out what we can do before that happens? Because I truly believe if Donald Trump was in the White House and the election was stolen from him, how is it possible for him not to be in the White House and then not have it stolen from him again in 2024? Well, it, it's real easy and it's common sense. 
Uh, make Election Day a national holiday where everybody gets the day off work the same you would as Christmas Day. Make it that sacrosanct to our republic. Everybody goes and everybody votes in person and everybody has a photo ID to do it. There you go. It's easy as pie. If they can vaccinate 250 million Americans threaten to go door to door to talk people into vaccinating. They can set up a vaccine station everywhere in the United States, two miles away from every rural area. The most disenfranchised location in the United States can still get a vaccine. You mean to tell me that someone can't go out and vote? You'll stand in line for 45 minutes to get a phone. You'll stand in line overnight for damn concert tickets. You're not willing once every four years. We don't ask much of people in this country. We don't even have... We don't even have a draft anymore. We ask you to serve on a jury if you get a jury summons. We ask you to volunteer for the military, although you don't have to. And we ask you to go out and vote. So go out and vote. You know, everyone's saying, oh, my God, you know, my grandmother can't get out and vote because this, there, there's a thousand excuses. There's a thousand excuses. But the bottom line is if, if we want to implement it, there are ways. There are solutions to it. It's one day, one vote per person, one ID, and let the chips fall where they may. It's not about the election. It's not about sour grapes. It's what I've been trying to tell people for the last two years. It's not Donald Trump lost the election and we're mad about it. If it were a fair election, if we had confidence and integrity in the process, we wouldn't be happy about it, but we'd accept the fact, okay, he lost the election. We don't have confidence in the process. When we see the 2,000 mules and when we see people going out uh, at 3 in the morning and all of a sudden these voter numbers spike after we're sitting watching TV, when we have unsolicited mail-in voting, the writing was on the wall. That's what pisses me off more than anything, is when the big COVID relief bill was, was unleashed in April of 2020, and Nancy Pelosi had that 1,400-page bill ready to go, mail-in voting was built into it. This is the 100-year pandemic. This is going to kill everybody. Oh, my God, this is like DEFCON 5, but we have a provision for mail-in voting. It's right there in that. And we should have known right then and there what was going to happen, and we didn't. And all that money that people send the GOP and all those emails that you get from the GOP and those text messages you get from your candidate saying, oh, my God, send $5 to beat the Dems, the lawyers for the GOP in every state should have been in the courts filing injunctions, telling the judges, prevent them from doing this. We have state laws that prescribe the methodology, the practice and protocol of elections. It cannot be circumvented in the event of a virus. Look to your constitution. Look to your state and federal constitutions. Nowhere does it say in the event of a virus, all conditions are null and void. It doesn't say that. The legislature of your state decides how the elections are carried out, not unelected bureaucrats, not governors with emergency quote-unquote powers. Come on. Speaking of the constitution, I have some questions for you. You know, since you are an attorney and everything, I have questions. So I heard a little birdie told me that uh, DeSantis is now at this point looking to have tech Florida become a constitutional uh, carry state. Um, is he trying to get that pushed through y'all state Congress or um, is he trying to get rid of the red flag laws? Uh, how is that working out over in Florida? Well, believe it or not, our red flag laws here, um, if you have red flag laws, they they, I see them all the time in my line of work. Um, I mean, look, they, they are triggered, you know, no pun intended, when, when you'd expect them to be. You know, domestic violence arrests, so somebody has a mental breakdown and has to be called a Baker Act, you call it a 5150 in California, basically has to be involuntarily committed. We have them here. We have methods. Uh, we call them risk protection orders where someone can say, like, hey, you know, my son's on drugs or like this person had a mental breakdown. And obviously any law abiding responsible gun owner should be on the same page. I don't want drug addicts. I don't want criminals. I don't want people who beat their spouses. I don't want mentally uh, unstable people carrying firearms. Um, as far as constitutional carry, Ron DeSantis is of the mindset that your right to carry a firearm is not necessarily codified in your state statute that's given to the that's given to you by god because if you believe in the constitution you have to believe that the constitution is just a limitation on what the government can do but that your rights come from god your rights don't come from government government doesn't give you anything the constitution limited as it is you know the reason you only have so many amendments and the reason why the 10th amendment is so, sort of a catch-all is because the founders were trying to limit the power of the federal government by saying, look, if it's not expressly stated here where the powers are granted to the federal government or strictly prohibited in this document, everything else goes back to the state or 
in other words, the people's representatives, which is precisely what, what the Supreme Court has done with Dobbs, where everybody's out in the street doing their damn primal scream, exhibiting their mental illness over a court ruling. I've been pissed off with my government plenty of my life. I can't remember ever shrieking like a banshee over anything they've done, like some of the videos we see out there. But I'll tell you, what the, what the Supreme Court has done when you think about it, is one of the most democratic things the Supreme Court's done in my lifetime. They've taken something and they said, we never had this right to begin with. Abortion is not a federal right. We never had it. So what we're going to do is we're going to make sure we give it back to the people of the states. We're not banning it. We're not outlawing it. We're saying, you, you guys decide. You decide in your, in your state houses, the people's representatives, you decide. That's how it should be. Whether you're pro-choice, anti-choice, you fall somewhere in between. That's an issue that should be left up to the voters in each state. Some states are going to have it, some states are not. Most states are going to be somewhere in between. But as far as constitutional carry, th that right was given to you by virtue of being born. You have the right to self-defense. And absent some, some safeguards that are in the way, we don't want mentally insane, we don't want criminals carrying firearms, but that Second Amendment gives you the right, but to have to go through the added step of getting a carry permit and putting added bur uh, burdens on people that are otherwise eligible to own and possess a firearm, uh, I believe in constitutional carry and above and beyond constitutional carry. If I were the king of Florida, I would make it an open carry state. I know I get into a lot of arguments with fellow conservatives. They say, no, you got to have the element of surprise. I've been in, in criminal law 15 years. I've been a prosecutor. I've been a defense attorney. Believe me, these criminals out there, these guys are cowards. And the sight of a gun on someone's hip, you know, 99.9% .9 of them are going to pick another store, pick another house. So I'm an open carry kind of guy. Gotcha, gotcha. So there, there's some progress happening in uh, Florida. I, I want to hit on something real quick on the uh, Supreme Court decision with Roe versus Wade with you real quick. And then I'm sending it back to the states. But isn't murder already illegal uh why why is it that we just don't use that terminology because you know they don't discuss what they say abortion but what is abortion there aren't they injecting the baby to kill it and stop his heartbeat and then dismantling it and pulling it out of his mother that's murder is already illegal if there's a double if someone, someone got hit by a car and a woman's pregnant that's double homicide and it feels like we're picking and choosing when we want to determine that something is a human life or not it kind of reminds me of when they made the excuse of why, why they were able to own other human beings so they can um, be their slaves by saying that they weren't humans. Well, that's exactly right. And if you look to some of the decisions of the, you know, the mid and early 19th century decisions, even Dred Scott, you know, referring to you know, slaves as they're not human beings, they're property, they're chattel, uh, you know, the same as a farm animal. And that's uh, that's how they were treated. And, and I think abortion and um, I, I, I thought of this the other day and I. Uh, I think we're going to look back 100, 150 years from now. I think we're going to look back at abortion a lot of the way we look back at slavery now and kind of go, what were we thinking at the time? Like, how could we have participated in that evil? And I think one day, you know, long after we're gone, history is going to look back and look to the time when we were doing this and go, like, how could, how could you murder babies? How could, how could Americans do that? The same way we look at how could you own another human being? Absolutely. Um, so before I get to the callers right now, we have one, you guys. So if you guys want to grab a mic and ask a question or, or add your two piece into this, make sure you guys go ahead and do that now because, uh, we will be getting off one time. You know, I've been doing better at this guys. We haven't been staying on for too long. I've been trying to get better with, uh, hitting that hour mark. So if you want to come up and speak, make sure you request right now to do that. Um, what would you say to the audience? Um, because this is not just on this app. We are also on Spotify and Apple and all those other platforms as well. Um, what would you suggest to the American people out there? Because my suggestion is, is uh, we're going to need us to come together and we have to go out there and educate each other on what our constitutional rights are, our liberties are, because people are less likely going to comply. I feel like we've been um, complacent for many years because we've been conditioned to think and believe the way we do, as if the only options, results that we have, um, we have to depend on a Democrat or Republican to um, save us. And that's not true. We as humans, you know, back um, when we, our country was growing and developing and, and became what it was, um, we had patriots who were not loyal to the crown, who, who worked together, went to the bub, pubs and, uh, and discussed what to do, policies, how to... Um, to, to break away from the crown and get, get away from their oppression of the king. So what is your suggestion to us as Americans, uh, what we can do before we get to the questions? 
Well, I, I think one of the things that we can do, and we as conservatives are naturally inclined to do it because we have to, is to arm yourself with knowledge, is to ingest knowledge, ingest content out there, and, um, and really be on top of current events. If there's one thing about conservatives, uh, you can you know, run into someone, you can have a chat with someone, and a fellow conservative will always be current on the news. You talk to a liberal, they're like, well, I haven't heard about that. What's that? I don't know. And the Democrats and, and liberalism in general preys on low information. They prey on people that don't critically think and analyze issues on their own. And because the mainstream media, academic, uh, academia, big tech, the kind of the machinery is all liberal. Liberals are seldom in a position where they have to defend themselves. You know, Lori Lightfoot can get up there and chant, you know, F Clarence Thomas, and there'll be no repercussion. I guarantee if someone got up there and said the same about Sotomayor, Ellen Kagan, or any of those, uh, there'd be hell to pay. So the thing is that since liberals don't have to arm themselves with information because they're never in the defensive position, and we always are as conservatives, that gives us a tremendous advantage to educate those around you. There's always opportunity to educate. There's always opportunity to red pill other people. You just have to look for it. It's like being an Amway salesman. You always look at the way in. You could be sitting chatting. Um, I'm, I'm doing a work on my house. I'm putting a new roof on. I'm doing a kitchen renovation. So we're dealing with supply chain issues. We're dealing with cost of materials. There's always an opportunity to chat with someone, talk to the roofer, talk to the guy who's doing the plumbing. Oh, man, the price of the pipes went up or it's going to take six weeks to get that. Ah, look at what Joe Biden's doing. We have an in right there. We can talk about things and you can educate people about what's going on. So I always say always be red pilling. Arm yourself with information and look for an opportunity to, to tell those around you. And, and I guarantee you're going to see people like, I did not know that the light bulb's going to go on and they're going to go down that rabbit hole and they're going to find out some information for themselves. Yeah, that, that I, I can see that. You know, I would say that possibly that I kind of see both sides are missing information in a sense too because remember how I was going off almost every single day about Greg Abbott and everyone's calling me crazy. They're calling me a red coat um, because they thought that Greg Abbott was just doing such an amazing job here in Texas. And I was calling out how he was actually handled the border. And then the fact is like, I went to the constitution, the Texas uh, state constitution and pulled it out that he um, has the authority to do something. If there's an evasion. And I also look at Arizona's because that's another Republican uh, state. And I was like, why are they not doing anything? Why are we still just pointing fingers at Biden? I, I think sometimes, too, with both sides, um, you may get the information, but we should we, maybe we should all start making sure everyone starts taking the initiative to look for a solution to the problem. So that was what I was looking at. I was looking for a solution to the problem, like what can Texas do? And I found it. And I'm like, well, why didn't Greg Abbott already know this? Or why is he not using it? Um, and then now people start, and then the news start reporting on it, and then more people start knowing about it. I think sometimes we people wait to get, hear something from the media before they do anything or act or look at anything beforehand. And I think that's a human nature thing. It is a human nature thing, but at the same time, it's interesting that you say, you know, why won't Greg Abbott or why won't Doug Ducey or these, these governors, these rhino governors, these border states do anything? You know, it's interesting watching what's going on with the Supreme Court. You have these governors saying, well, we're not going to listen. It's an illegitimate court. Why doesn't Greg Abbott, why don't Doug Ducey say, hey, federal government's illegitimate on the border issue. We're going to defend it. Sue me. Take me to court. What are you going to do? I'm sending the mm -hmm. Texas Rangers. I'm sending the Texas National Guard to the borders. Try to stop me. Instead of looking to the federal government. If we're going to call institutions illegitimate every time they don't do something we like, make it fair game. This is the era we live in. I've been saying it on social media for months. Watch, with, watch the January 6th commission, GOP. This is the political realm in which we live. When you come back, if you come back and you get the uh, the majority rule in November, let's get a BLM Summer of Love Commission. Why not? Let's get a Supreme Court Commission. Let's get you know, look at who's doing these things. We can weaponize just as easily as they can. You may not like it. You may not want to play there, but that's where the fight is. It's a gutter fight. And if you're not willing to get dirty, then you got no part being in this party. Well. That's that's my guy, you guys. Eric, appreciate you for coming on. Now we have some folks who may have to add some things or ask you some, something. I'm quite sure they probably know who you are because, you know, your tweets make it into the news quite often. Uh, you, you're pretty intelligent. You put out good information and content. And um, before we go, remind me to make sure you let everyone know how to find your podcast and everything that you guys have. And uh, we'll go from there, okay? 
Sounds good. Uh, just to let everybody know, it's Bob and Eric Save America. We're coming back for season four starting July 16th. Find us on iTunes. We are not on Spotify because we got kicked off for COVID misinformation, which is even more of a reason to listen to us. So we're on Google Podcasts, we're on Rumble, YouTube, Periscope, Twitch, DLive, Facebook, you name it. Uh, wherever you can stream, you can find us. And Donnie's been on our show. We're going to have her again in season four. We got a big, big season coming up. Lots of big guests, lots of big names. And Lots to talk about and arguably the most consequential season because it's going to coincide with the midterms. And, you know, uh, we got to win. We got to win. It's not a matter of we should. It's we have to. We have to win. If not, uh, God help us. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, Robert, how's it going? I can barely hear you, my friend. <laughs> You're usually the loudest person on here because you have a system set up. <laughs> Come on now, flamethrower. Okay, is this better? <laughs> I, I can oh, hear you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a lot better. <laughs> okay. Oh, God. I get tired of, the, of this audio stuff. Okay. So, um, I have... So, now, if... And now, we've been talking a lot about how the Uniparty is screwing us over. Um, before we get too caught up in, yay, the GOP won, or the GOP is going to take the House and the Senate back. Okay, let's not forget how impotent they were during Barack Obama when they had the House and the Senate. I know that's a bit of a black pill for some people, but let's not forget... How Rand Paul, uh, no, I'm sorry, it was Paul Ryan, okay? Like, when he was in charge, uh, we had a chance to completely not only repeal Obamacare, but make some of those provisions illegal in the future. Uh, we could have done, we could have done so much more. I mean, yeah, privacy, Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham, um, I mean, people like that, they're scum. They're the, uh, if you ask me, I think they're working with the Democrats. The constitutional carry, Donald Trump promised that, but instead, what did we get? Bump stock bans. I mean, fuck that. If, if you're going to sell me that the GOP is the answer to the problem, then, I'll t then I, have, I have a unicorn straight from Ireland to sell you to. But what, what we need to, I mean, I get it a lot. Uh, I mean, we have a two-party system, but that's exactly the problem, which is what we've all been talking about for the last few months. Uh, so so if, if the GOP is going to win the House and the Senate back, what we need to do is we need to hold these people accountable. And the other, And also... Let me add this, that they, that the people writing the bills are probably the corporate sponsors. Cause I always felt that Congress should have to wear on their blazers the, uh, the logo of everyone who sponsors them, just mm -hmm. like NASCAR drivers. Okay? Because, <laughs> it, so, that, that would answer a lot of questions for people. Now, as for why do people believe the media, maybe it's because I, my theory is because they don't want to admit the truth because then they would have to admit that they were lied to most of, most of their lives by these politicians. These same people who look at us as uh, servants, serfs, they, look at us, they don't look at us as people. So... Uh, so that's so the hardest thing to admit is we're not even human to the politicians. I think that you have a good point there. And I'll let Erica say something on that, too, because you look at whenever a politician is approached on both sides, they they run and they have their policies of um, security around them. And you can ask, ask them a simple question um, and they run from you. What, you're supposed to represent me. Why can you not answer this question? You can sit there and, and be all brave on national TV and the news, or when you're in Congress and writing these bills, you know, infringing on our rights. I'm a 
breaking your oath of office, why can't you address the people? And that's one thing I was saying that, you know, if we bring our, back our politicians back home and get them out of D.C., they're going to have to look in your face every day when they go to a grocery store or fill up their pump. And they don't want to be around us. They don't want to see that because then they would necessarily be held accountable for their actions. They would have to they would feel guilty for continuing doing what they're doing. Well, I, I think you're right. And, and Robert, you make a lot of good points. And I think the one difference, the one reason why I'm, I'm a little more optimistic this time around than I was maybe in 2012 is the fact that we're having these conversations now. I don't remember these conversations existing back then. And my wife and I were part of the Tea Party movement. We were active in that. And we may sit around and have conversations in restaurants and bars. But the fact that we have the ability now and the proliferation of information and social media uh, and Donald Trump really changing the game. And again, he, he look, he did a lot wrong. I'm, I'm by no means a Trump loyalist, but he changed the way we think politically, the way we think about the political establishment. It used to be Democrat or Republican. And now we're realizing that it's a system. It's a system of us versus them of haves and have nots. It's a power dynamic. And the fact that we realize that and we're demanding that out of our elected officials, the fact that you have more Republicans than Democrats out there calling out Mitch McConnell, calling out Kevin McCarthy, even calling out Donald Trump when he's endorsing Dr. Oz or he speaks on behalf of Kevin McCarthy or comes out at his rally and he's introducing Johnson and Johnson and pushing the vaccine. We're like, hey, your base doesn't like that. We're not about that. The thing about it, they say we're a cult. They say we fall in lockstep. I think we are some of the most independently minded people I've ever met in my life. And I don't care who it is. We don't worship one man. We worship God, not government. We love family. We love country. Uh, we just don't always love the people that are in charge. And I think we understand it is a broken system. It's certainly an imperfect system and no such thing as a perfect candidate. But we are demanding more from our leaders. And I can assure you that the powers that be are very receptive. They have their fingers on the pulse. They know how we think. It's like they're reading the room. They're reading the signs in the audience going, that's what they want to see. And if they come out and they're playing nice and they're reaching across the aisle... I think they're done, and I think they're going to be primaried, and I think there are enough political outliers and upsets that have happened over the last few years that these people know, hell, if I've been there 40 years, I'm still not safe. Anybody can come and you know, unseat me. So uh, I have faith, and again, um, it's the Republicans' election to lose, and it's their opportunity to squander. So let's see what happens, but I know that we're going to hold them accountable. We're certainly going to call them out when they don't do what we've elected them to do. Excellent. Thank you so much, you guys. Let's get over to private next. Uh, Robert, thank you for always dropping your flames, as always. Uh, let's get over to private next. One moment. Hey, private. How's it going? Oh, it's going all right. How's it going? Good, good. What's up? How's it, what's, what's, your, what's on your mind? Yeah, basically with all these, uh, like you said, uh, you know, you got Hulk Hogan on one side, Ric Flair on one side. Same thing with these damn politicians. They fight each other in open, and and they, they shake hands behind each other's back. They're drinking, you know, Chardonnays and whatever else they are. Um, Mitch McConnell is actually one of the biggest problems we have because we had uh, Kate's Law. We had uh, Mike's Law. We also had like, National Repercussion all on the table. And he was like, we're going to have to have bipartisan support. Bipartisan support. You know damn well that Democrats aren't going to vote for anything that's going to help truck drivers defend themselves, you know, in their own damn truck. And, you know, damn well they're not going to help anyone, you know, carry a gun to California or New York and legally protect their fellow citizen. You know damn well they're not going to protect Americans against an illegal alien who violently committed a crime who should be barred from reentry. And that's what those three laws, you know, cover. So we have to get... You know, somehow we have to get rid of Mitch McConnell, you know, and all these rhinos who claim to love the Constitution, who claim to be like, oh, yeah, I'm pro-gun only when it's voting season. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, I'm pro-life only when it, it, it's like voting season or whatever else. And like you mentioned, uh, what was it, the... Uh, the guy from South Carolina, Lindsey Graham, he's another terrible one. 
Then we have uh, Murkowski. Who else is out there? Uh, they're, they're just all over the place. We need more Rand Pauls, and we need more um, uh, Majory Taylor or Greens. We also need more Thomas Masters. We need more of them. Definitely. The rest of them. I, I agree 100%. And, you know, Dan Crenshaw comes out and he calls these people performance artists. But I think in today's political arena, um, performance art is just a, a term of jealousy of someone who can, who can harness the media, the power of social media and the power of that bully pulpit better, better than someone like him. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene getting out there and speaking the way she does, being bombastic and being incendiary, is creating... A, a, a ripple effect where where she's bringing to light issues that nobody else is talking about. She's the only one going to the D.C. jail. She's the only one talking about January 6th. And when you have these people out there, these firebrands that go out there and say, I'm making this my issue and I'm going to say all the things that are going to piss off all the pundits, it makes people talk. And then it makes people like us talk and go, hey, how come my elected officials aren't doing that either? We've got... 700 Americans that are being prosecuted for effectively walking into the Capitol after they were invited in. We have a, a huge a huge human rights atrocity going on before our eyes, and all our government cares about is let's send another $40 billion to that asshole in Ukraine. I mean, that's where we are right now, and, and I think that we are going to hold our, our leaders accountable. I think McConnell's days are numbered. I believe he's retiring anyway. And I think that if Republicans take back the Senate and take back the House, I don't think you're going to see uh, a Speaker McCarthy. I don't see you're, think you're going to see a leader uh, McConnell. I think it's going to change. I think it has to change. Um, but it is a political system, and it's going to take generations to, to sort of uh, rid itself of that filth. But you're going to have people that have been there for 40 years that – um, why would you leave? I mean, you got to think about it. The incentives, there are no incentives to leave. These guys get rich. If you cut off the money, if you cut off the insider trading, if you cut off the lobbying, if you cut off the kickbacks, if you really went in and looked at these bills and said, how are they, why are we allocating $10 billion to some program in Pakistan? How is that money filtering back to the senator or the congressman who approved that appropriation? How is that coming back? Look, if you had a job that was virtually guaranteed, I mean, 96% of the time the incumbent's going to win. If you had a job that was virtually guaranteed and you're going to go in there making a hundred and something thousand a year and you're going to, in 20 years, you're going to be worth $200 million, there's not a human alive that wouldn't take that. So we have to really get in there. And it requires people who are running for office and who are serving to vote against their own interests, that they can't own securities, that they can't buy and sell stocks. Or they can't give them raise. They can't give themselves raises that they're going to impose term limits on themselves. They're going to say, look, I'm going to be served two terms as a senator, maximum 12 years, and then I'm termed out. We got term limits for president. You have term limits for governor. But congressmen and senators can serve forever. Why is that? We got to put an end to that. And that's going to require people who are going to put their country ahead of their personal interests. You need to, you know what you need? I, I swear you got to have more people like Donald Trump who are independently wealthy. And if you really look at the founding of this nation, our founding fathers were all very wealthy. And that was not just because they're finding a country, founding a country for themselves and for people like them, because they're like, look, this country's given us so much. We have so much. Now is our opportunity to give back. They've, they've envisioned a, a government comprised of people who had been successful in their private lives and saw government service as a way to give back. And we don't have that anymore. We have people that are 25, 26 years old getting elected who are probably going to serve till they're 90. That's not what government was intended to be. It was intended for people who are wealthy and experienced and now say, I don't need any more money. I want to give back now. That's what we have to go back to. Yeah, can I ask you a question, Eric, though, on, on the terms of this, the GOP and I, I, I know that a lot of uh, uh, folks are still out there, and I'm trying to convince them, I'll try to convince you too, that the, the GOP, how is it that we can really de depend on the GOP to do anything for the country? Because they're not holding their candidates accountable. They're not censoring their candidates when they're doing unconstitutional things or, or um, signing unconstitutional laws. How is it that that could possibly be the solution? I feel like that's a, that the solution hasn't been... It, we've been around for over 174 years, and 
This has been going on for quite some time, for over decades. How can, how can we still just keep wanting to do the same thing over and over again? It's, it's like we're going to get the same results. Um, because the GOP as a party isn't holding its members um, accountable for not upholding their oaths, then what, what, what can we look for in the future with the GOP as being a solution? Why can't we as people just become the solution to the problem? Well, that's a tall order, and the fact remains is that we have to work within the parameters we have. We don't have a viable third party. That If you vote third party, I'm afraid you're, you're giving your vote away. You're wasting your vote. We have a two-party system. It's, it's, a, it's a shitty situation, but we have to work within the reality that we have. So instead of saying, I'm going to vote for a third-party candidate and be principled, you might as well give your vote to the other side. You might as well vote Democrat because it's not going to happen. What you can do is take the infrastructure of the GOP, take the money, the fundraising, the, the, take all of that infrastructure and use it, hijack it, do what the far left did to the Democratic Party. Come in there and say, we're taking over this party, we're putting our candidates in, we're going to primary these rhinos, we're going to primary these guys that have been there 30, 40 years, and we're changing the ideological structure of this party. The, the, the far left did it with the Democratic Party. We need to do it as America first, make America great again contingent. We have to do it with the Republican Party. I think we've done a good job. We need to continue doing what we're doing because we are more and more taking over that party. What about if we sort of focus on federal elections, we focus more on state-level elections and take over the state legislature, and then we can do a... a convention of the states through state legislature and we can force them to have term limits. We can force them to have balanced budget. And well, we the, the, private, the thing with the convention of states, I only want to get in that conversation because we don't trust the representatives we have in office. Those are the same people that are going to go make that decision at the convention of states. So if we don't trust them now. I wouldn't want them touching my constitution. But that's, that's one thing. Um, but with, with Eric, what you're what you're saying is, um, my solution is not even a third party. I, I think the whole party system needs to go away. And I'm not saying it's going to happen overnight, but it needs to go away. It's a problem, and um, we focus more on the candidate themselves. Are they do they actually will run the country with the, con- the actual constitution? Um, people like farmers, regular working class Joes, you know, um, be run for office, and we get behind them. Um, you know, the, these two parties have. Been, have old money you know they have a lot of money they'll have all these corporations donating to them they have all these lobbyist groups and special interest groups endorsing them and giving them money and you have them get all this media attention that's that's the problem that we have in this country where it it may come off impossible for another person to win but the thing is once you just lay down and give up that's quitting so uh, like I said, this solution is not going to be an overnight solution, but I'm not saying a third party is an option. And I, I want to say something else, too, when it comes to throwing your vote away if you go for a third party. Um, how come we can't look at it as stance as um, if, if forcing people to vote against their liberties and their special interests is, is throwing their vote away? Because we actually have a higher population of independents. 42% are independents, 28, 29% Democrats, 20, 29% Republicans. And in a sense, uh, are we taking the votes away from the independent group if they're going to the Democrat-Republican Party instead of people's own special interests when it comes to their liberties and freedoms? But we're still stuck in a two-party system. You have a Republican or a Democrat, and we need those independent voters. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm saying it's far from perfect. But... The independent, we, we, you gotta have, you gotta hit that, you know, 44, 45% threshold of voters to win an election. And, you know, it comes down to getting the independent voters. It comes down to that, you know, two to six percent that are undecided, that are somewhere in the middle. Those are the people we have to reach out to. And the Republican Party has, has a unique opportunity right now to do that. Look, social issues notwithstanding, abortion, what have you, really what this election is going to come down to, it's going to come down to your pocketbook. How are you feeling in your wallet? People vote with their wallets. Mm-hmm. If you're paying $97 at the, at the tank, if you're paying uh, you know, $180 for you know, two bags of groceries, if you can't afford to get to work you're going to think about changing the party that's in power. And that's where we have the unique opportunity. The thing is, like I said, it is the Republicans' opportunity to squander. If we come in and we just maintain the status quo and stop the bleeding, we haven't done enough. We need to come in. We need to go scorched earth. We can't work with the other side. 
it's time to get tough. And we need people that are coming in there. America first. Stop the money to Ukraine. It's the dumbest war I've ever seen. We're getting fighter pilots coming on talk shows. Ben Stiller's going over there. This is ridiculous. At the same time, you got Americans who can't feed their kids and they can't afford to get to work. Give me a break. And what's the government solution? Go buy an electric car. Come on. People are smarter <laughs> than that and people are getting screwed. Gotcha. Hey, Private, one second. Mister has been waiting for quite some time, and we only have about six minutes left. So give me a second. Uh, Mister, Private, thank you for coming up and dropping your gems. I appreciate you. Uh, Mister, you are next. Go ahead. What's up? What are you thinking? What are your questions? Um, Well, I was um, thinking back about the red flag laws, and I think me and Robert said something about that one of the other meetings you had. Um, Mm -hmm. I was going to ask Eric... um, is there a concern, like, far as, because uh, with the red flag law, just say, for instance, uh, domestic violence or the, like, mental, you know, like they say there, you know, you don't need a gun because of domestic violence or this person right here said you did this and that. What if you didn't do that or what if your mental health condition doesn't substantiate all that? Um, I mean, does it, uh, would you have due process or how you defend type of claims and stuff? Yeah. Well, mister, you, you just you just summed up what I do for a living. I'm a criminal defense attorney. I see false allegations every day. And that is a tremendous concern with red flag laws, red flag laws in theory. Hey, keep the guns out of the hands of people that shouldn't have them. If a guy comes home from work and he beats his wife and he's angry and, and there's a, a risk to her, of course, any reasonable person would say you wouldn't want to fire him in that house. But what if they're in the middle of a divorce? What if she checked his phone and saw he's texting his ex-girlfriend and said, I'm really going to get you and calls the cops and says he hit me? In the state of Florida, the state of Florida is what's called a no-drop state. If you call the police in the state of Florida for domestic violence, cops come to the house, someone's going to jail. They're not going to leave. They're not going to give you a domestic violence pamphlet and say you guys try to work it out. Ever since O.J. Simpson, police departments nationwide have changed their approach where they don't care what they do to your job, your reputation, anything, your freedom. They're taking someone to jail. Uh, so the, the ease with which domestic violence accusations could be made, domestic violence restraining orders, even easier to get a restraining order because that's not a criminal process. Just go to the courthouse and say, hey, my ex-girlfriend's stalking me. Oh, well, we got you an injunction. Well, she gets that injunction. If she's got a carry permit, the Department of Agriculture is going to send her a cease and desist letter, say return your permit at once. You're going to lose your guns. You're going to have to go through the process to get them back. Uh, So that is definitely a concern. There are procedural safeguards in place, and in the end, you may be victorious, but you still got to go through the process. And what does that mean? You got to take time off work. You got to go to court. You may even have to hire a lawyer, which can cost you thousands and thousands of dollars just to get a right Mm -hmm. that was given to you by God. So while the idea of red flag laws to some degree, I understand. But just you know, willy-nilly, your ex-girlfriend can say, oh, my God, two weeks ago he looked at me funny and I'm scared of him. And all of a sudden you now have a record and your firearms are taken and you've got to spend ten grand on attorney's fees to get them back. Something needs to change there. And uh, I've, t- I've met Ron DeSantis. I've spoken to him personally about criminal justice reform. And this is coming from a former prosecutor conservative. Criminal justice reform affects all of us. It's not a liberal issue anymore. It's really become a conservative issue because we're seeing the backlash. We're seeing the problem with false accusations being made. We're also seeing the issue with that it's not making us any safer. Because if you have mandatory minimums, if you have these three strikes laws, well, you're taking these nonviolent people and you're putting them in prison. And what do you do when you overcrowd a prison? You got to get rid of some people in there. You got to parole the violent people. So if you committed a murder or you're a child molester from 1995 and you're a car burglar from 2022, well, they're going to have to parole that child molester to make room for that car burglar who's never going to hurt you. He might threaten your property, but he's not a risk to you. That child molester is. So that's why three strikes and mandatory minimums don't make us safer. All right. Yeah, and I was going to ask, uh, I got one, just one question. <laughs> uh, does, Georgia, does Georgia have that uh, in Florida? What, what are their laws regarding that? Regarding the, the red conserv- flags? Red states, yeah. Do we have well, any red states that have them? Oh yeah, we have we have risk. Yeah, we have risk protection orders here in Florida. Look, if the cops come to your house and you've been arrested for domestic violence, the cops can submit a, a request a risk protection order, and there'll be a hearing held. And the police department uh, will basically act as the prosecutor, saying, "Yeah, we have a, a concern about his firearm. We we started that after Parkland." Um, and I see sometimes they're warranted. I've had cases where uh, I had a client who 
went off his meds and he went in his backyard with his gun and he was firing his gun in the air and he was shooting bullets into his neighbor's house. That person should not have a gun. That was a good risk protection order. The yeah. cops did their job. But mm-hmm. somebody who, you know, ex-girlfriend's going through your phone and goes, oh, my God, you're texting so-and-so, I'll get you. Or, or people that are in the midst of a custody situation and accuse you of touching a child or something like that. Yeah, it can happen. It happens very easily, and it's an imperfect system. Um, there are procedural due, say, you know, due process safeguards in place, but uh, doesn't mean you're not going to have to go through the process. I mean, we have a saying, you can beat the rap, but you may not beat the ride, meaning you've got to go through the process, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And then they need to uh, write laws for false, you know, they need to up their game regarding false allegations anyway. Like, there should be a penalty if proven that, you you know, like with Johnny Depp or just de- not defamation, but it should be more legislation regarding it, I believe. Well, it I, don't even I, have anything to do with him. I'm talking about even women, like someone can do that to a woman just to disarm her from like an abusive husband, like you're saying. Well, I, I agree with you 100%. she can't protect herself. Yeah. <laughs> You, yeah. you're, you're 100% spot on, and, and the fact remains is that we have a, a crime here in the state of Florida, false report to law enforcement, but it's a misdemeanor. We upped that. Um, if it involves the disappearance of a child, it's a felony now. We started that after Casey Anthony. But no, I, and I've, also, I've, I've been a proponent of the law that if someone accuses you of a crime and it's proven that that was false and a false accusation, that person should be charged with a crime that carries the same penalty you have. If someone accuses you of rape, which is a second-degree felony in Florida, punishable by 15 years, your crime carries a maximum of 15 years. And I think you're going to see false accusations disappear. Because let me tell you something, (laughs) they're out there, um, and uh, they're very easy. It's very easy to get a restraining order. It's very easy to uh, you know levy a false accusation against somebody. And a, a lot of times, cops are just like, "Hey, look, you know, I don't want to lose my job. She said it happened. I'm just going to arrest him and let the let the courts deal with it." Awesome. Thank you, uh, Mister. Uh, thank you so much for coming up and dropping you. your gems as well. Um, I, I want to go ahead and close this out. We're at our mark, you guys. And I want I want to say this, Eric. You know. Um, I believe that, like you said, we do have a very broken system. Um, And at the moment, I see where you're coming from, where we work within how it is. But if we want to fix this system for our generations to come, we we should be working to fix it as people. Um, And I believe that the people can come together and that we can come together and find constitutional um, solutions to fix these problems. If we keep on depending on particular public figures or we or um, parties or whatnot to save us, we're, we're not going to be safe. Historically, if you if you look at um, other countries, when's the last time we were able to vote out tyrannical governments? If they set up the system so they always win, and we look at some of these primaries and uh, things that are going on here, like a, for example in Texas, um, these people in Texas didn't really care about fixing those elections, and then we turn around and we're disappointed with these primaries. Now. I honestly think that once we get more people out there and educated on this stuff and getting these solutions out there, that we can come to a solu- um, we can come to us uh, together and have solutions where we can actually take our country back from the people who have taken it from us, which was the party system. But like I said, it's not going to happen overnight because it's going to take some uh, take some time. But I don't want to sit there and sit there and say it's going to take decades to do it. I believe we can do it sooner or later. We also have the Declaration of Independence which gives us the right to take our government back. And now no one's saying to do it um, violently. We want to be peaceful. There's other solutions to do that. But I think where we really should be looking at solutions, we've been chipping away at our rights and freedoms, our privacy has been violated, all these things for so long that we should stop letting them chip away things. We're the only ones compromising, and they're not. I agree, and people got to be involved, and people have to be informed. And I, I think if there's one thing, I think... Uh, there are a lot of opinions. People do feel very passionately about the politics, and politics has become a form of religion in this country, and, and people really put their uh, faith in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but we shouldn't. You know, we need to go back to basics, God, country, family. You know, there's a higher power. There's, there's, there's someone higher and wiser than you, your family, your family unit, nothing more important than that, and the country in which you live. Don't conflate being angry and not liking the people in power and your and your love of country. Hating your government doesn't mean hating your country. Hating your government right. precisely means loving <laughs> your country. I love this country so much. I am I am flabbergasted to see the idiots that we elect and, and put in power. 
Um, and, and I think that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's an imperfect system, I think, by nature, because we're imperfect beings. I mean, we're, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're f- fallible by nature. We're, you know, subject to greed and uh, corruption just the same as anyone else. But at the same time, um, you know, the framework and the ideas, I mean, remember what the founders said, a more perfect union, not a perfect union, not we've done it, we're here, a more perfect, always striving to do better and better. And and I think we need to keep those fundamentals in mind. All right, you guys, that's Eric. So glad to have you on. You are welcome to come back in the future. Looking forward to coming to your show in your new season. And I appreciate you for coming up here and talking with us today. Donnie, thank you so much, and thank you to everyone who listened. All right, you guys, we're going to close out our anthem. Uh, Talk to you all tomorrow at 7.30 p.m. Central Standard Time as normal. Um, Bye. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form, as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer, while evils are sufferable, than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such government, and to provide new guards for their future security. You're tuning into The Constitutionalist with Donnie the Don. Don't be political property, be free.